The Massive Attack Podcast, 12 Days of a Christmas Carol 2, Ebenezer Boogaloo. I am Joe, and Mitch in Melbourne, to my Scrooge, is my Marley. Hello, Mitch, how are you? Hello. Sorry, I'm just trying to channel Marley. If you warned me, I would have got some chains to do some folly work as well. But anyway, I- I'm all right. Well, that's good to hear. We're getting we're- we're getting very close to Christmas. As I said, it's day nine, so we're two-thirds of the way through our 12-day countdown. And we're going very traditional here with an actual Christmas carol. So we're looking at the 1982, I think it was a television movie here in Australia, but the 1982 A Christmas Carol. No colons, no extra add-ons, no this is Christmas Carol, the movie, or anything just. like that. It's just A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. It's on so YouTube. It is. It's also on Amazon Prime too. So this was a made-for-television an animated Christmas fantasy film from Burbank Films Australia, who I think were based in Adelaide. It was originally shown through the Nine Network here in Australia. And as far as adaptations of A Christmas Carol go, I think this ticks every box there is. Every box. It's probably one of the most traditional ones that we've watched either this time around or even in our first lot of 12 days. Yeah. Unlike the 2001 we watched last week, there's no excessive backstory in this. No excessive mice. No, no extra characters. Old Joe the pawnbroker has his little bit. He doesn't have anything extra. It's just exactly what you expect it to be. Scrooge is being Scrooge. He makes reference to the fact that it's Christmas Eve and good old Marley died seven years ago to this very day. And we hit every one of the beats you expect to hit. One they don't beat. No? What, when he first sees, you know, Jacob Marley? It's a quite a long conversation with Marley. I'll give it that though. Yeah. Because he, you know, can have a sit, sit down with me. You know, that's fine. They have a chat. They do this. And it's like, do you believe I'm here? It's like, can you see me? It's like, yes. You know, and he goes through the hole. There's probably some, something I ate. And I'm waiting for the potato line. I was waiting for it. I was, I was too. There was no potato but line. No, he doesn't do the full course. He says maybe it was a blob of mustard. And then when Marley starts to talk, he does say maybe you're more gravy than the grave, which is in the original text. But yep. not in a lot of versions. But no, we don't get the undigested piece of beef or the undercooked potato, unfortunately. This, this Marley is kind of cool. He's got this big voice and it's a long conversation. There's a bit where he goes, I'm remorseful for your opportunity. And he sounds a bit like Bowie. It was quite weird. But that, only that one line, never again. And then he did his bit where he goes out the window and flies away after he warns him that the ghosts are coming. But there is an interesting scene, which I'm not seeing elsewhere, as he's looking out the window and there's another ghost asking for help from people in the street. And he's got a little chain on him. And he's like, oh, please, come on. And, it's like, and then he sort of fades away. I was like, oh, yeah, interesting. Other ghosts. Never seen that one before. But okay. So that, that was just pretty much the only deviation I can say from the classic story that I've seen that's uh, actually, sort of there, different to anything. There was one other thing, because he goes to the the pub for lunch and i don't remember him ever doing that in other episodes no, so you see no, him go point. to the pub and then he comes back home from the pub is when he first sees marley on the door knocker yep. and it's like well maybe that's why he's seeing the ghost maybe he's had a few pints down the pub i, I don't yeah, know but yes, yeah so. something else that i thought was quite interesting early on in the piece too when he's just walking through the streets he catches a boy who's shoplifting a loaf of bread yeah. and just shakes the boy and makes shakes him drop it. the bread but the bread just drops in the snow he doesn't go and back and pick up go. the bread and take it off. No, no so he's just yeah. he's just a miserable old cunt, is what he is. Yeah. But there's also, also another bit because when he's talking to Marley as well, they're having a bit of an argument, and he goes, "You're cold," and he goes, "I'm fine." 
I was like, put some more coal on the fire. And he's like, coal costs money. And he goes, fuck you. Well, he doesn't say it. But he picks up a chair and throws a chair in the fire. I was like, yeah. shit. Okay. I was like, all right. So, yeah, there's a bit of argy-bargy going on there. It's like, yeah. And he's sort of establishing the miserness of him all and all this sort of shit. And he's not happy. He just loves money. But he doesn't mm-hmm. use the money. This is the weird no. thing. You know, it's like, you've got money, but you don't use it on coal. What are you doing with it? You know? It's kind of weird. So we get our Marley visit. He goes to bed. You get the gongs going on or the alarms go off on, on the clocks. The chimes. And he, gets vis- yep. and then he gets visited by Twink Boy. Uh, yeah. It does <laughs> deviate a little here, doesn't it? So the ghost mm. of Christmas past turns up and it's, as you say, it's Twink Boy. It's a young boy wearing a toga and a very, yep. very short toga at that. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's not your anamorphic flame-based character. He's just a boy in a toga. Yeah. But he does the traditional, takes him back to his school days where we see the birth Stuck of Stuck there at Christmas time. But then he gets saved by Fran, his sister. Yeah. And I mean, basically sends him off to Fezziwig. He does his bit, has his dance, meets Belle. Slightly different in this, though, in the true story that Charles Dickens originally wrote back in 1843, Belle is friends with his sister, Fan. Yes. But in this one, Belle is actually Fezziwig's daughter. Because Scrooge and his apprentice friend are there setting up ready for Christmas Eve party. And Fizzywig basically says, oh, it's not a party unless there's some some frivolity. Let's bring in my daughters. And he brings in you know, two girls and one of them is Belle. And that's where we see the initial spark between Belle and Scrooge Blossom. And I did like a line. There was a bit where they were, you know, they were having their party and their dance like they always do in the Fizzywig thing. And Scrooge is getting into it, like watching it with, with the ghost. And he's dancing around a bit, and the and the and the ghost actually says to him, "What's wrong? You got a beetle in your pants?" Yeah, it's like fair question. Yeah, it was kind of cool. It's like we got that. You know, he's he's getting into the moment. The old Scrooge. He's he's, he's you know he always does. Whenever he goes to the Christmas past, he always has a look at what's going on. It's like yeah, and he's nostalgic and he's happy because he's showing the happy memories. And then exactly. he gets really shitty when they start going. No, no, I don't want to see this. When he does the whole conversation with Belle. Yeah, we see Belle with the whole idea that they've been together for a little while they're planning on getting married and then he is in love with money too much and Belle's like well you're a different man to the one I fell in love with and that's where she decides to leave him and we see him spiral out of control into becoming Scrooge. Yeah, there's a bit of a sass there too from the ghost who was just past going oh how old are you you look old and he goes I'm 25 and he goes you look 35 <laughs> so I'm like yeah. that's harsh but yeah a bit of sass going on yes mm. And she actually uses humbug, which I thought was a nice touch. When they break up, when she goes, "Look, you know, you you don't love me. You don't, you know, you're a changed man. You wouldn't love me if we met together today. You wouldn't have any interest in me." Blah blah blah. And she said, "A humbug to you." And it's like, "Oh, that's where it came from." She he got the humbug, and that's the moment. That's the rosebud moment, like in Citizen Kane. It is, and he sort of says, "Well." You know, I love you just as much as I did when we were young and we first met. And she kind of brings out the whole, oh, you're not in love with me. You're in love with another. And he's like, no, no, there's no one else. And she's, yeah, it's, you're in love with money and and riches. You're not in love with me. So they don't go the full contract and all that sort of stuff, but they still, it's enough to know that they're they're drifting. And here we get a slight deviation again, where he goes a different time in the past, but something we've not seen before, where they drop down and he goes, I don't know where I am. I've never been here before. And he goes, look in that window, which is a bit creepy. He's looking in random windows. But he looks at someone on the couch. He's like, that's Belle. And it's like, that's not Belle. That's Belle's daughter. So yeah. And then Belle walks in and she's an older lady now and she's married to some other dude and she's got kids and she's happy and all this sort of stuff. And you get this conversation going on about the husband saying, do you know who I saw? 
the other day. Scrooge, he was there. Apparently Marley's real sick and he's still there alone and working hard, blah, 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 blah. So we get that sort of backstory we never got before. The only closest thing we got to that was in the Brave Star. I think Star that's in a couple of versions. Well, it was in the Brave Star episode, but I think that's actually in the Muppets one as well, where they show that sort of almost modern day Belle and Michael Caine in the Muppets one sort of goes, take me away, I've seen yep. enough. And so it is in a couple of the versions, but it's not something that All they the do time. in yep. every version. So that, that's it. Mm. Twink Boy's gone. Ghost Christmas Pass is gone. He spirals, literally in a weird-ass spiral, back to his bed, and he's done. And then we get the classic trope. He's, he's more Santa in this. He's got the red instead of the green, but he's, you know, it's the big bearded fat man. Was, it, was he white bearded from the start or was he red bearded? In some versions, he does start off with a big, you know, brown beard, and it, and it goes white as goes the days on. goes on. But yeah, so he started white. Fair enough. Scrooge hears the noise coming from the other room, so he wakes up and walks into the other room and sees the big spread. And this is where the ghost makes reference to the fact that he's throwing a, a Christmas lunch for all his brothers, and he makes reference to the fact that there's eighteen hundred or some of yeah. They represent a year. A year, yeah. And I think that's a nice touch too. And again, I'm not sure if that's in every version. No, I think it is, yeah. Okay. And does he say there'll be 2,000 of us before the end or something? I don't know. He, he does make reference to to some dates anyway. Okay. But yeah. But no, he does the whole cling tenaciously to my buttocks Touch lining my robe. And grab my robe. Mm-hmm. And they fly off into modern day London to see how people are celebrating their life and yeah because there was a bit where it's like i noticed there was there was it was a very artsy version in the 2001 version where people were queuing up at a baker's and then they were fighting and then he waved his torch over them and put some magic on them and they got along horn of plenty yeah well it's a horn of plenty in that version but this one he's just got a flaming torch but it represents a yep. lot of plenty so it's like oh, okay so i didn't get it in the screw in the um 2001 version but he actually explains it in this because they, it's, this is established out of a bakery and there's a queue of people to get in. And I thought, oh, yeah, Christmas people are buying their stuff. And a dude walks out with a cooked turkey. And I'm thinking, what sort of fucking bakery gives you a cooked turkey? This is ridiculous. Who does takeaway back in the 1800s? And he actually explains that these people are too poor to have, it, have a stove or an oven. So they, they pay to use the baker's. And cook their food there and there's waiting. Mm. It's like, okay. And then there's two people in line and they're queuing and one goes, get moving. And they turn around, they have a big fight. And then he does wave his, you know, magical torch over them and they get along. And Scrooge actually asks him, what did you do that for? And he goes, isn't it better if we all get along? And he goes, I don't know. And then he actually undoes the magic and they start fighting. And they go, is that better? And I was like, oh, good point. I was like, that was really well done. But yeah, this is the second time I've seen it and the first time I've seen it explained. So it's probably in the text. I just don't remember it for being in the original yeah, sure text. But yeah, it's not really explored too many times that I've seen. So that was sort of the, that was the establishment of the Christmas present before he goes off and touches his robe yet again and flies off to do some other things. Yeah, so they go off and they do the whole nephew Fred. So Fred previously had come in and said, you know, come and visit me on Christmas. There's always room for you, uncle. And he always says, yeah, why do I need Christmas? But they go to Fred's again. And we see the traditional parlor game that Fred and his fiancée and one of their friends, a couple, are playing again. And they do that sort of almost 20 questions. I think they call it the yes, yes and no, no game. game. Yeah. It's like, uh, is an animal, is it an angry animal that grunts a lot? And it's, you know, it's Uncle Scrooge is the animal. And they do that in a lot of episodes as well, a lot of versions of the story too. But I thought they did that quite well in this mm-hmm. one. They kind of humoured it up a little by making the guest that didn't know how to play the, the game yes. when those got 
yeah, is there another question? Is there more turkey? It was kind of the question. Well, I think that's coming through from the Australian humour. Because yeah, it's, like you said, this was made, written and produced in Australia. So the actors were Australian. Yeah. So I reckon... Yeah, it had Anne Hetty. Helen from Neighbours, yeah. And the main character that is Scrooge is played by a dude called Rob Hadrick, who is quite a famous Australian theatre actor who'd done a quite a bit of television as well and also played cricket for South Australia. Yes, Sheffield Shield. So when he passed away, I think Ian Chappell so, yeah, sort of good spoke and he had the Order of Australia for his you know devotion to the arts. Quite well established. So anyway. yeah, yes. But goes to Christmas present, does all his usual stuff, shows them the Cratchits having their meagre meal at Christmas. They make reference to Tiny Tim being sick and they do the full-on traditional Christmas with Tiny Tim and he does the, you know, Merry Christmas everyone line that is in most versions. Yeah, but and they go on the full-on with the church as well because it's like, because they come back from church and do their dinner and they did the hide-and-seek game which they play a little bit, have done a few times. But it's like, oh, how was Tim at church? And he goes, oh, oh, you'd be proud of him. He walked in there because he wanted everyone to see that that he was the lame kid and, you know, it just reminds everybody of Jesus because he helped the lame and that sort of thing. You'd be proud. It's like, yeah, they really push that. He's a real thinker, that Tim. Yeah, and and they do their standard talking about the older brother getting a Mm -hmm. job, all that sort of stuff, and Mrs. Cratchit's all like, you know, after they toast to Scrooge, it's like, oh, why do we need Scrooge? And it's like, well, if it wasn't for Scrooge, we wouldn't have this meal and I wouldn't have a job and, you know, all that stuff. But that's, yeah, it's quite well done. And then they talk to him saying, oh, will will Tiny Tim live? You know, he's starting, there's concern there. Um, And they're going, I see (laughs) that crutch, man. I see an empty chair with a crutch leaning against it. It's like, so that crutch would fall. But anyway. So, yeah, he gets a bit distressed over that and he leaves. But they talk about dinner. And this I did like the conversation here. They go, oh, that's a feast. It's not much of a feast. They go, oh, what does it matter? It's like, well, what do you like? And he goes, oh, a cup of tea and some toast. <laughs> it's like that was enough for him. They should be happy with a cup of tea and toast. So yeah. I don't remember that conversation ever happening before. No, but if they do their bit, as usual, at the end of the day. But no, before that, we get introduced to two little characters. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, I, I shouldn't forget this because it, it is our first appearance this year. Other than the little hand coming up in the 1911 version, this is our first proper sighting of ignorance. And, and it's like two, you know, very emancipated looking children. This is ignorance and this is want. <laughs> it's like, you know. It's... Yeah, because Scrooge turns around and goes, what are those? Are those yours? And goes to Christmas present, does the full-on, no, these are mankind's, they are the boy's ignorance and the girl is want and they are what ruins the world mm. sort of thing. And I popped big time <laughs> for it because, you know, they're not in these enough, but they, I think they're quite a pivotal part of the story when you see ignorance and want. Yeah, so it was kind of cool. And then it goes in straight into the Ghost of Christmas Future, which is the classic hooded figure with the point. No talking, just the point. Yep, no talking. And it goes in and there's all these dudes talking about a dead geezer. I mean, they've never convinced me that Scrooge doesn't know who they're talking about. It's like everything else has been about you. How would, how do you know it's not about you? So they go through the whole... Yeah, there's a body on the slab. There's, you know, the, the people going to the pawn shop to sell the curtains and the, the bits and pieces. And No, no, no. I was thinking... Like, it's his staff. Wouldn't he recognise his staff? Or is this set in the future enough that he's got new staff so he doesn't know who they are? So Maybe that's, it is. That's, 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 yeah. that's the way I can justify that. Even though this, I think, is meant to be a kid's cartoon, when the the washerwoman and his staff go to the pawn shop, old Joe gets a little bit blue mm-hmm. with them because they initially the undertaker gets paid for 
I think it's a watch or something, but he gets his money and then the washerwoman gives him the curtains and, and he gives them quite a big payout for the curtain. And he sort of goes, oh, I always give an extra portion to the ladies. And it's kind of like, okay. And then the next lady comes along and, and he's like, well, let me into your bundle. Mm-hmm. And there's just a couple of little things that old Joe throws in there that I wasn't expecting for a kid's cartoon. But yeah. Yeah. And then we get the sad Cratchit household. It's like, where's dad? It's like, oh, he's on his way, but he seems to be walking a little slower these days. And then old, and then in the room, there's that crutch leaning against that empty chair. The metaphor that Tiny Tim has passed. And it upsets, you know, he, he's yep. getting upset. And he actually twigs at this point. He goes, I think I know who you're talking about here. I get it. And he goes through the whole, but is this set? Can we change? Yeah. Is is this the future that has yeah. to be or can I change my ways? Can I change? And yep. then, you know, and he's he's really pleading with the ghosts. Tell me, tell me, give me something. Can I change? Can we make things better? Can I save Tiny Tim, essentially? And then takes him to the, the tomb the coffin or whatever and that's when he sees it's him and he's screaming and you know he does a big realization and it's done a couple of times i've noticed where and it must be in the book because it's been done that many times where he's holding on to the ghost for dear life pleading 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 and it pans back and he's actually holding on to the four poster bed and the curtains on it and it's sort of oh okay he wakes up and he's back in his bedroom and oh and that's when he does the what day is it Yells out the window to the kid, wonderful boy, what day is it? It's Christmas Day. Yes, I haven't missed it. And goes through the whole rigmarole. Yeah, he he does the whole, oh, they managed to do it all in one night. Obviously, he's been told that he's going to get visited by three ghosts in the night. Mm. But he's not a very cluey man, Scrooge, no. in some of these versions. So, and, but- and I loved it because it was a bit, when he yells out the window, there's an establishing shot of the kids. They've got a stick and a ring or a wheel or whatever, and they're hitting the stick. And I love that that was a toy once. That was a big deal. Was that his Christmas present that he got in the morning? And they were like, It probably was. Baffing about probably, going, oh, yeah, let's go run around with a stick. Stick and hoop. Yeah. And it's like, it was oh. the Xbox Series S equivalent back in the 1840s when this came out. Yeah. So and it was just funny to see. It's like, oh, they've gone to the effort to animate that. <laughs> so, you know, they could just have the kid walking past. But no, they had the kids hitting a stick with a hoop. You know, it's like, Good on you. Well done. And they go through yep. the hole, you know, buy the turkey, come back, I'll give you more than you need to. Meets the guys on the street that he wasn't going to give money to for the poor houses. But no, I'm going to come by, come by the office tomorrow. I'll donate some money for you. It's all well and good. Goes to Fred's party, has fun there. Goes to the Cratchits and helps that. But I don't think, did they go through the whole rigmarole that he became like a second dad and everything was really good? There was no real narrator to no. it to establish all that. Uh, there wasn't. Well, a lot of them, they do do that. You sort of get that yep. postscript bit so, sort of saying everything's going to be okay. But you didn't get that. You just sort of got the gist. We did get a little bit of an extra in the fact that they show us the equivalent of what must be Boxing Day and Cratchit comes back to work late and Scrooge is all like mm, sort of thing mm. and Cratchit doesn't realise what's happening and then he sort of goes, well, you know, did you get a turkey yesterday? And, and Cratchit's like, oh, someone wrongfully delivered a turkey. So yes, we had our best turkey because we wouldn't have been able to afford a turkey. And that's when Scrooge basically says, well, if you couldn't have afforded a turkey on Christmas Day, I must have you know, not be paying you enough. Now it's time for a raise. And there is that little bit extra on the end, which isn't in every version either, but it's what really confirms the redemption. It's not just the jumping out of bed and clicking your heels and giving money to the boy and asking what day it is and that sort of stuff. There's more to the ending that establishes that Yes, Scrooge is a nice guy on Christmas, but he's continuingly to be a nice guy and he's 
legitimately changed his ways. Yep. Yeah, this was cool. I think I like this better than the um, 2001 version. Oh, I really definitely like this more than the 2001 because it didn't have any songs. It didn't have the mice. The animation wasn't great, but it was traditional enough that you expected it to be. It was 1980s off-brand animation. Yeah, it's like that Hanna-Barbera-ish, a little bit more. It's a little bit better. Your painted background. Probably a little bit more human with their characters. Yeah, and I've actually seen quite a bit of this because I found out, like, this is all done by an Australian company, or Australian production house anyway. And and this guy, the main actor in it, um, he was in a few of these other ones, and they were on Amazon Prime because I'm a bit of a Sherlock Holmes nut. And there's at least four... Sherlock Holmes animations in this style from these guys. Um, the sign of four is one of them. And yeah, it's, it's, I never understood like why. And like I said the other day with one of the episodes, it's like, why do they make this? They obviously keep making this Christmas Carol story because I love it as a story and it's important, but they've gone the animated route. Like the 2001, particularly I, I get the Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. Like, that's new technology. They could have gone nuts for it, and that works. But the 2001 is like traditional animation. They're trying to hit Disney with nowhere near the budget of a Disney film, but you did have some big names with Nicolas Cage and Dumbledore and all that sort of shit. But yeah. what kid's looking for this story? And in 2001, no one was looking for this story. Maybe in 1982 when it's going on TV, I get it. But in nine, if we're talking 1979, 1982, that's our peak era of being into Star Wars and shit. Yep. And we're watching Huckleberry Hound, The Devlins, Butch Cassidy and the Sundown Kids, you know, that sort of stuff, Jabberjaw. We're not looking for a Sherlock Holmes cartoon. And I've watched them and I love them because I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan now. But as a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, I wasn't looking for that. Well, I think the whole idea with Burbank films is they were trying to get traditional literature across into children's minds because they've done a bunch of other... David Copperfield, Great Expectations. Oh, they did Dickens run, yeah, didn't they? So they've had a lot of Dickens. Wow. (laughs) Like you. They've also then gone on... (laughs) They've also gone on and done... Uh, some other famous works as well. They've done Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 86. They did a cartoon version of The Last of the Mohicans in 87, Treasure Island. They have done a lot of things where they've put traditional classic literature into cartoon form. Maybe because so, they don't yeah. have to pay for the rights. Well, maybe. Hmm. But anyway, yeah, no, this was cool. This was kind of funky and it's available everywhere. Like if you, yeah. if you Google A Christmas Carol animated or whatever, like, it'll be the first thing that pops up on YouTube. It's pretty much the first thing that pops up on Amazon Prime. So it, it is everywhere. So it's probably, you know, it's in the, whatever the rights or whatever. Public no domain. one cares. It's, it's probably yeah. not public domain, but probably no one cares. <laughs> so therefore, no one's chasing it up. So it's, it's just kind of, kind of everywhere. So, yeah, if you're looking for a good traditional take that won't tax your time, it's not bad. It's just over an hour. And there's no wasted motion. No. There's, it's not like the 2001 where we get that, you know, half an hour backstory before Marley even turns up. Mm. It hits all the points, flows nicely, covers everything that pretty much is to cover in the book. As I said, the only thing that I would mark it down for is the fact that there is no undigested piece of beef or undercooked potato. Yeah. But other than that, I think this is almost a perfect version. Yeah, It's not as entertaining as The Muppets because that's still my yardstick. Yes. But if you need to know the story and you want to pretty traditional version of what a christmas carol is i'd say definitely watch this one well i speaking of a christmas carol i sneakily put it on tv yesterday my son was doing something else and i just i just might put it on the tv while there and by the end of it he was watching the whole thing i was like hey. okay 
And I said, what did you think of that? It's a good story, isn't it? It's one of Dad's favourites. In preparing us for an, a, a coming episode, I put on an episode of a TV show today, which sort of played with the whole, you know, Christmas Carol motif. And he's like, that's that story. I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> so there it's you like, go. Your seeds are set. Yeah. So it was cool. You recognise it, which was cool. But anyway. Well, that's good to know. Hmm. All righty, but that's probably a nice place for us to wrap up this episode. Definitely. So we'll be back again tomorrow. tomorrow as we count down the final three days of the 12 Days of Christmas Carol so with another bit of a retelling tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So until then, thank you very much, Mitch. See ya. All right, and hopefully you've got all your presents wrapped by now, and we will see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.